Hi, my name is Paul Caroli, and I host a podcast called Changing Denver. It's a monthly show about our city's physical spaces, how we make them, and how they make us. But it's so much more than that. It's the conversations, ideas, and stories that define Denver's perpetual state of flux. Find more from our team at changingdenver.com and join the conversation on Twitter at Changing Denver. Denver's changing. We can help. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 142. Your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And can you handle the awards? It's the end of summer. It's back to school season, but it's also award season. You know why? We're not handing out awards. We're celebrating awards. And my guest this week is Paul Caroli. He is the host of Changing Denver, the Westward's 2017 award winner for best podcast, Staff Choice. And he is the guest on Westward's 2017 best podcast award winner, Reader's Choice. That's right. We're joining forces. We're like the Wonder Twins. We're like Voltron, although Voltron had more than two members. But we're like the Voltron of podcasting here on this week's show. Now, Paul and I met a few years ago. He reached out to me. We got together. You know, we're both Denver podcasters, and so we got together. Nothing came of that ultimately. But once we both won the Best Of Award, we said, hey, let's come together. How can we build each other up? And the way that we did is we started thinking, you know what? Sexpot Comedy is sort of the elephant in the room. They're the big dog. They got some money. They've got all the big comedy podcasts in the city. But there's still a lot of great work being done. And how do we build each other up? How do we make each other's shows better? How do we support each other? And that's the Denver Podcast Network. And we're doing kind of a slow rollout. You'll expect to see a much more splashy kind of announcement about it down the road. But Paul and I got together, sowed the seeds for it. We started reaching out to other podcasts like Beyond the Trope, Left Hand Right Brain, uh, The Revisionists. Real Nerds, and Real Nerds was certainly very instrumental in the formation of the John of All Trades podcast, so I have great affection for them, and we're just now starting to talk about it. So look for more announcements about that. Paul and I talk about it in this week's show. We also talk about the origins of Changing Denver. We talk about the other two podcasts that Paul does, which, holy hell, what an amazing dude, doing three different podcasts. He's got Changing Denver, he's got the Denver Pizza podcast, and he's got Denverite now. Three exceptional ones. We talk about his day job a little bit. I mean, Paul Caroli is someone that I am proud to know, someone that I am happy, won the staff choice for Westward's best podcast of Denver 2017. And, I mean, what can I say? He's a terrific guy. He came down to my basement. He's very tall. He sat on my very short little couch with his knees pointing in the air. He does not know this, but he endured some technical difficulties because as I listened to this episode back, I did not have my headphones in. That's an important tip for all you aspiring podcasters out there. Always have your headphones in. Make sure your mics are connected. So when we get to about 40, 45 minutes into this episode, 
you'll start to hear some technical difficulties that frustrated me listening to it back. It's not reflective of the best two podcasts in Denver, but what are you going to do? Here we are. So a couple of other notes here just before we get going. Mile High 100 launched last night as I'm recording this intro. Did it just a couple hours ago. We had a very successful event. We raised a ton of money for Firefly Autism. We had free beer. You should come to the next one. Our next event is November 9th. Last week's episode, Braden Dick, my co-founder, I think we're both very, very pleased with how this went down. So November 9th, 5.30 p.m. at Industry. If anything changes, stay abreast on all the updates on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash milehigh100denver or on our website, milehigh100.org. You can send us an email, info at milehigh100.org. We're going to have a bunch of pictures, a bunch of stuff from last night's event. It's terrific. We had a great time. Uh, Firefly Autism was thrilled. Uh, the Girls Athletic Leadership School uh, did a great presentation. So did Posthetics. Could not be more pleased with the presentations that our three nonprofits brought. And thank you to anyone who attended. Uh, we cannot do this without you. So what a terrific event. Uh, please be a part of it next time. We're doing it once a quarter. The next one's November 9th. Additionally, would also like to give another shout to Team Nebulous Visions. 48-hour film project. I did a number of episodes about the 48 a couple of years ago. Uh, I actually participated on a team this year. We wrote a movie called Cardigan Sorrow, which was sort of a critique of hipsters. And it won the Audience Award for Group E. So hopefully that means we're going to the best of screening. Uh, big shout out to Nebulous Visions. That was a lot of fun. We put together a great product. And uh, man, what a thrill. Thank you for having me be a part of it. A lot of creative stuff going on here this week. There's so much going on in Denver. You need to get out and just support local arts, support local podcasts. In the words of Paul Caroli, if you follow him on Twitter, hashtag listen local Denver. And you can do that. You can kill two birds with one stone here on this week's episode. Number 142 is Paul Caroli. He is the host of Changing Denver, the host of the Denver Pizza Podcast, and the host of Denver Right Now. His episode starts just like Denver Right Now. It starts right now. It's not really advocacy, although people who are advocates publish in IPS. That's the Institute for Palestine Studies. IPS published things. Yeah. Uh, the goal of the mission or the goal of the organization is to just preserve history and to foster an academic discipline around Palestinian culture and politics. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting story. It started before the PLO was founded. Hmm. So more than 50 years ago now. Okay. And later on in that, those early days of the Palestinian national movement, the leaders of the PLO wanted to adopt IPS like underneath their umbrella <laughs> right. and make it like the, like the Smithsonian right, of the PLO. Sure. But, uh, the people at IPS back in those early days said, no, we have to stay independent. Yeah. And it's been independent ever since. I think that's probably smart. I mean, oh, yeah. If you think about any issue, and the one I'm most familiar with is oil and gas, people go, well, that study is bogus because industry paid for that one. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that's true, whether or not anyone influenced the study, whether it was environmental groups funding you know, research of certain academic institutions or whether it was industry, people are going to cast an eye on that. So it's hard to stay independent. And I recognize why that would be important for something like this. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, it's really easy to understand this mission. Uh, yeah, sure. Whether or not they're achieving it, 
<laughs> they're trying. We're we're doing our best. Now it's kind of settled into this thing where uh, like academic freedom is a hot button issue in, yeah. in the world of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict in the United States, uh, which is a main battleground. And so IPS plays this role where uh, young academics, like Palestinian American academics, Palestinian academics, they need to be able to publish in order to get tenure. And right. so the Journal of Palestine Studies is a respected journal, and it publishes the kind of things that these people are interested in writing. Wow. And not a lot of places have that. When people find out what you do and, you know, working for this organization, do you ever get any heat for that? I mean, because what you're talking about between the Israeli-Palestinian conflict mm -hmm. is a very charged issue. Sure, sure. Um, no, I don't personally get heat. I do get people's stories. Okay. Uh, because it is an emotional thing for people on all sides. It's wrapped up in people's families, their cultures, and it's existential for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. So I hear a lot about, you know, people just want to share their opinions, which are all, which are based on their experiences for the most part. Like I hear about birthright trips. Yeah. Which is interesting for me because birthright is an interesting organization. Yeah. I, and I know very little about them, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I can imagine that it is. And by the way, this is Paul Caroli, who is the host of the Changing Denver podcast, in addition to his day job that he is currently describing to you. Westward best podcast in Denver this year. According to the staff. According to the staff. Not the people. According to the people, that was me. But you combine these two powers. We're like the Wonder Twins. And this is what? The best podcast of all time now, right? I think so, yeah. Well, until we do an episode of Denver Pizza Podcast together. <laughs> then people's faces melt just clean off. Yeah, I mean, that that's going to be a special That's going to be epic. <laughs> uh, when, when you get the two podcasts uh, named in Westward by the people and the tastemakers as the best podcasts, when we combine forces, man, we're unstoppable, right? Yeah, it feels good. It feels good. Sure. It's also nice... Um, I mean, that we had a relationship beforehand and like when you sent me that email the day that issue came out, I felt, oh, I'm I'm part of a community. Yeah. I felt really nice because <laughs> podcasting is so solitary. It's lonely. <laughs> like, I, I really appreciated that. I don't that meant something to me. Absolutely. Well, I it was one of those things because I won reader's choice and I mean, I'm guessing you didn't do any sort of like lobbying or advocacy for yourself in trying to win this. But I can't talk about that. <laughs> but I saw it <laughs> as uh, as an opportunity. I'm like, okay, well, here's a good opportunity to engage my listenership and all the people in the business community who I touch and who know that I do this. Um, it's it's an opportunity for me to connect with them again in a different kind of way. And so, you know, I I was pushing out emails and doing Facebook notifications and stuff like that. And so when I opened the issue, when it was finally published. And I go to the winner, and it says Changing Denver. I had two feelings. One was I'm like, oh, man, I didn't win. Like, that's too bad. But then I'm like, but thank God Paul did. Like, because mm. you're doing a great, great show. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. It, it is the thing that I'm most proud of of anything I've ever done in my life. That's really cool. And you don't get to, you don't get to talk to people all that often while they're sort of in the middle of that, too. It's usually someone reflecting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so the fact that you get to live in that moment as it's happening and recognize that it's happening really is special. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, 
I don't have a lot of confidence in my ability to keep doing it at the level that I'm proud of. So I am looking back on Wait, it. Why not? Oh, you know, uh, just the regular self-doubt. I'm uh, sure you have it. Uh, constantly. Yeah. It's, it's nearly crippling. But I agree with you to a certain extent, but I also feel like I keep getting better. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like my shows are actually improving because I'll go back and listen to old shows and the production value is crappy. Like, and this is all stuff that probably only I notice, but like the levels are kind of all over the place. And I'm like, oh, I should have, I should have tweaked this little section and made it louder. You know, I can, I can like hear the seams in it. You know, I'll be like, oh, that was a really like hard edit. I shouldn't have put a cut there or whatever. Sure. And sure. So like from a technical aspect, I feel like I'm just getting better. Now, as far as how I'm doing when I'm actually interviewing someone, that could be all over the map. I mean, you you never know because the interplay is so hard to predict. Yeah. That's really strange. And your show is much differently structured than mine, you know, whereas I can or I have to sort of course correct over a conversation if I feel like it's going astray. Yours is much more broken up into segments and you have more than two people doing it, which Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that? A benefit or a drawback in your mind? Uh, I don't know if it's a benefit or drawback. It's just a different style. It's um, just something else entirely. Yeah, in terms of sitting down to interview someone, because I've done this kind of interview too, where it's like the whole thing is going to be for broadcast. Right. And yeah, I mean, you have to be more, you have to be maybe more present. You have to be, you have to control the flow more. Whereas when I'm interviewing for something that I know is going to be on Changing Denver, like, I know there are things I want this person to address. And what I'm thinking of is not like how to make every moment as clear and engaging as possible or to like show them as their best self. What I'm trying to do is get to those moments in a way that allows them to say something that will fit in the broad outline that I'm working at. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Do you ever go down a road when you're interviewing someone thinking you're going to get something and you end up getting nothing? Yeah, that's actually happened more to me lately. Um, we're just I've been I've started working on even more than just interviews, like whole strands of ideas to go into the podcast. Like I'm working on some big things uh, that'll come out later this year and early next year. Just like whole series of conversations with people that have ended up leading to nothing (laughs) that's got to be frustrating it's it sucks it makes me realize how lucky i was for those first two years of changing denver like basically everything i did i i made it work wow so you were like kind of dancing between raindrops in a lot of ways it seems like it in retrospect wow that's wild and you know it's kind of funny i feel sometimes the same way about my own business because when i came out of the gate when I left my corporate gig, I got my first three clients like boom, boom, boom right away. And then there was one month, <laughs> it was like January of the next year where all of a sudden two of them had dropped off and my third one hadn't renewed yet. And so I had this one other client that I had picked up and I billed $1,250 that month. And I go, whoa, okay, I'm not even going to cover my mortgage here. <laughs> um, but, you know, thankfully I had the reserve built up, but... I'm like, okay, so it's not always that easy. It's weird when you find success right away and then you encounter some roadblocks. It's really tough to recalibrate sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think part of it for me is that I'm changing the format a little bit. Oh, nice. Okay. 
So well, uh, for, okay. How about this? For anyone unfamiliar, take us through sort of what Changing Denver is and how a basic episode has unfolded up to this point. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, uh, for the first two seasons, as I call them, which was just the first two years of work, I did two types of episodes. Main episodes, which were the monthly main shows, and then small little supplementary or complementary stories or interviews with people. And those main episodes, each one was about a neighborhood or a physical space in Denver or around Denver. Right, okay. Now... Of those main episodes, most of them were the style of narrative and storytelling you find on a This American Life with yep. voiceover and clips of people talking and interspersed with music and sound recorded of events happening. And all, all of that combined to tell a broader story. It was uh, really fun to listen to. Oh, my, thanks. My favorite episode of yours was, I think, the Golden Triangle one. Oh, the very first one. That was the very first one? Mm-hmm. It was because I re-listened to that one right before we met again after we won uh, the Westward Awards. And so I had that one on my queue, and I was just driving to my car. I'm like, I should listen to Changing Denver again. And I just had it there, and, yeah, I revisited that. That was really fun. That was your first episode, man. You came out strong out of the gate. Jeez. Thanks, yeah. That that was a um... – yeah, I didn't even know what the project was then. It was just <laughs> something I was working on for KGNU. Oh, funny. Okay. Anyway, but uh, uh, yeah, the storytelling, like an episode, I'll try to make it start with a little vignette that brings up a question and then either like one broad story or a few different segments all answering that question. Um, to take an example, the finale of season two, I explored the question of zoo design. And there was a protest outside the Denver Zoo where it was an ill-attended protest. And mm. I talked to all the people there and, like, what, why they were there, what they were doing. So they were some, a couple interesting people. that, And then from there it was like, well, if they want to end zoos as we know them, like, what are precedents for that? And then from there I went into the history. And there's this guy mm. called Carl Hagenbeck that basically pioneered the design of zoos as we know them today. Um, there used to be, like, the iron bars and cages that you think of. Right. You think of, like zoos in the 19th century but then he did this thing where it was like habitats and terrain that mimic ecosystems right that so animals are actually found in yeah so oh, okay. more than just like animal jail yeah that was hagenbeck's thing is don't make it look like jail right yeah um so then i came back to present day to like the actual what the denver zoo is doing now uh -huh. um because they have this really interesting exhibit called Bear Mountain that was built 100 years ago. Okay. So the, right around the time Hagenbeck was revolutionizing the zoo industry. So they have this historic design, but now, but then 100 years of thinking about animal rights passed. And now they have to comport their modern ideology with this historic design. And so you have to, like, balance what, where your values are. Yeah. It's it's a very meaty question, and I I, I might go back to that because I think there's more there. Um, any, anyway, I went on. Do you know the wild animal sanctuary? Uh -huh. That's where it ended. It was like, well, if what's if zoos are going to change, what are they going to change to? Maybe sanctuaries where animals are more. It's designed around animals' needs rather than people. Yeah, I mean, did you get into the question of circuses at all too? Then I mean, because that seems at least tangentially related. Definitely tangentially related. Didn't fit it in. Uh, although at one point, um, the guy at the Wild Animal Sanctuary, Sanctuary was talking about the a crisis in. There's been like a proliferation of like lions and tigers and stuff in personal homes and 
non-permitted <laughs> zoos. Yeah, like the greatest populate. He he had this great fact: the greatest population of this one type of species of tiger in the world is all in personal residences in Texas. Okay, <laughs> or something like that. Don't take, don't quote me on that, but it's. He calls it a crisis. Well, that doesn't make sense to me because who the hell wants to take care of a tiger? It seems really stupid, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, that. It, I feel like we're doing a Dane Cook bit or something, you know, where, like, he talks about if you owned a monkey, you'd have to come home and fight that monkey every day. It's <laughs> it's an awful, awful bit. But it's something that I think about a lot because it's like we're talking about wild animals here. I have two cats that will still bite your face in your sleep. And those are house cats, man. (laughs) (laughs) Got to take those out of the sanctuary. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Although they're cream puffs. One of them got out one night, and I think he got in a scrape with a real alley cat. Yeah, that alley cat taught him a lesson. (laughs) He came home. He didn't try to escape again. (laughs) But, but, I mean, so it's funny because your show, kind of like This American Life, it's, it's a very easy listen, especially, like, aesthetically. Like, it flows nicely. It It's it's almost, in some ways, relaxing. But it's almost like a Tarantino movie because you subtly build tension with very pointed and charged questions. And, I mean, you're a very sort of assertive interviewer, which is something that I respect. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you're not afraid to ask someone a tough question, like, right to their face, which is not easy to do. And not everyone has that about them. Hmm. But it's a necessary skill, in, especially in a storytelling medium like this. So when I say it's like a Tarantino movie, do you remember the first scene of Inglorious Bastards? Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, one of the greatest scenes probably in the history of cinema. They're, they're having this very innocuous-seeming conversation about milk and smoking their pipes and whatever. But the whole time, you're almost filled with like this really super nervous tension. When I listen to your show, there's times where I get that. I'm like, oh oh, okay, this is not just a nice jaunt through Denver. Denver has some odd history, and there are some odd values underlying the things that we kind of see but take for granted. And I think that's part of the brilliance of what you do. Is that fair, the way I'm characterizing it? Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it sounds right. I mean, that's. I worry that sometimes when I describe this stuff, it doesn't sound fun, but I want to emphasize that it's fun. I I use local music. Oh, yeah. No, and it, I I think people confuse that type of thing with not being fun. You know, like your your show is not like doing homework. You know, you know, it's not like um, we're studying for the freaking bar or something. But it does get at real things about this city while entertaining you. So that's I mean, the goal. That's the goal. Um, yeah, when I think of when I have these ideas of like ways to approach neighborhoods, I want to give people a different way of looking at the place that they have like long ago decided they know. Yeah, totally. That's a worthy goal. Yeah, it's certainly interesting for me. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's so fascinating to me is you come at this from an outsider or as an outsider. Yeah. Although, you know, less and less as well, time sure. goes on. But yeah. <laughs> and and I try to be open about that. Like, I'm self-conscious about it. Okay. Um, because there's this transplant versus native debate oh, right. that everybody has a lot of feelings about. Right. There are people with native bumper stickers. Yeah. So I moved here in February 2015. I started making this thing, like, a few months after that. Definitely not a native. 
Well, what compelled you to start doing that then about this city that you were just brand new to? I think I think it was my experience where I came from. Um, Washington, D.C., gentrification was like the biggest thing that all my friends talked about all the time. Right. And we, like, at the same time, everyone was thinking about, well, where do you live? Like, what's the cool stuff there? And you, were, I was thinking in terms of neighborhoods. Yeah. So coming here, that was just the way that I interpreted the city that I was coming to. Well, and would you say it's fair to say, because I've heard this before, that Denver is or can be very tribal about its neighborhoods? Hmm. I don't know. I haven't heard that before. Tell me about what do you mean? So people really identify with the hood that they live in. And when you say it to someone, you're almost asserting who you are. Like your neighborhood is, I think people internalize it as a reflection of who they are and who they wish to be. Hmm. And so to that end, it becomes very tribal. It's like, oh, you're in Park Hill too? And so immediately you sort of identify. It's like, oh, you you live in... uh, I don't know, low high or whatever. And it's sure. like, I've never lived in low high and being a native here, you know, there are times where I still want to call it the North side. You know, I think people deeply identify with their neighborhoods here and based on doing your show, is it, is it fair to characterize it that way? Or is that not reflective of your experience? I've certainly talked to people that feel that way and the whole like North side versus Highland thing. Yeah, I get that. There's a couple of those around the city where, there are conflicts over what a neighborhood's soul is and all those things are really wrapped up in class and race. Mm -hmm. And like, I think a neighborhood like many other things is a way of expressing who you are and finding like-minded people. So yeah, I guess I can see what you're saying. I was struck by you talking about DC and the gentrification because gentrification is a topic of conversation in cities all across America. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I went to D.C. and someone told us to go out to Georgetown. And I go, okay, like, we'll we'll go check out Georgetown. Like, which metro line do I take to that? They go, there is no metro line to Georgetown. And I go, what? Like, how do you get over there? They're like, you got to take a cab or, you know, whatever. And this was years ago, so it was still cabs then. And I thought, well, that's weird. Like, why, why wouldn't they want that? And the way it was characterized to me was the residents of Georgetown – didn't want poor folks or folks that they viewed as undesirable having easy access to their neighborhood. And I remember thinking, wow, that's really uncool. (laughs) And in some ways, it made me really not want to go out to Georgetown. I still did, but, like, I didn't feel as good about it because – and granted, this was one conversation. So, you know, you tend to take that and blow it out fairly or unfairly. But hearing that affected my perception of that neighborhood. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I also was told that story. I probably told people that story. I don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> there might be other. It might be it's just like a watershed and like you can't. <laughs> right. But yeah, maybe the aquifer like comes a little too close to the yeah. to the surface. But um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, and I will say, from a practicality standpoint, it was a huge pain in the ass getting out to Georgetown too. Oh yeah, sure. Like relative to the other parts of the city. I worked out there. I worked out like the very tip of the shopping district. Oh, wow. And, uh, so it was, it was, it was a bus ride for me until I eventually took on a bike. Uh, well, you know, that's fun in the mid Atlantic heat too, right? (laughs) I I loved it. Did you really? Yeah. I, I was biking like, it was like a 40 minute commute. Oh, wow. And I was not, well, it was like my first real job and there was growing pains there. Uh So 
being able to hop on the bike and pedal really hard and get sweaty at the end of the day yeah. is a great way to um, blow off steam. Well, sure, but when you're showing up to work and you're nice and sweaty. On the other, yeah, that's not great. <laughs> that's not the best. Yeah, uh, I don't remember what I did. <laughs> well, you know what? You're a young dude, so or pr- even will, younger at the time. Yeah. You know, he probably just dealt with it. Mm-hmm. I remember my first meeting out there, and I remember thinking I was not staying at the hotel where the conference I was at uh, was going on. And I'm like, oh, I'll just walk. It's like a half mile. I walked in my suit. And I nearly died. I'm like, I'm like soaking <laughs> head to toe. This is ridiculous. It's 830 in the morning. Yeah, it gets rough. Yeah, it's pretty brutal out there. In the but, summers, for sure. But what uh, what facilitated a move to Denver then? Uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, Megan, got a job here. Okay. And her family lives in a small town about an hour north of Denver. So Which it, one? Mead. Yeah, I know Mead. Okay. Um, I've done a lot of work in, in Weld County. Oh, that makes sense. So. Yep. Yeah, I know Mead pretty well. As well as someone can know it. It's not much there. It's, there once was a bean factory. Yeah. <laughs> that is accurate. Yeah. Reminds me of that movie Gung Ho. Do you remember that one? Nope. 1983, uh, Michael Keaton. Uh, he plays this union rep in this small town in Pennsylvania. And he goes to Japan to pitch the the big car maker. They should relocate their plant to his town. Because whoever was in that plant, like, moved out. And he goes, and ever since the underwear factory closed, you know, we got a lot of people who need work. And I'm thinking, wow, the underwear factory closed. And that's going to, like, cripple a town. The the politics of a small town are so weird. I was talking, I was doing a project for anyone who's listening can probably guess this, but it was for wind uh, out on the eastern plains. And someone out there told me, they're like, yeah, ever since the private prison closed, we've got a lot of folks looking for work. And I'm thinking, I find private prisons reprehensible as an industry. But, man, there are people out there who need jobs, and the prison was providing them. Mm. How do I feel about that? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. It's complicated. And an all-too-common story these days. Yeah. I would say that's accurate, too. So in addition to the work that you do on the podcast and the writing you do, uh, you also do some journalism stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Are you picking up like freelance writing gigs? Yeah. Well, the Palestine stuff is journalism for sure. Right. I also write uh, for this organization called Cranes Denver, which is the local shingle of a massive media company called Crane Communications. Okay. So I just I write business news for them. Hmm which has devolved as the funding for this project, for this shingle has fluctuated. (laughs) And now it's just a very small portion of what I do. But for a while it was interesting. And now I I recently picked up a new thing. I write for Denver Eater. Just the occasional like restaurant opening, breaking news stuff, which is fun. I'd never been in that type of newsroom before, although it's not a newsroom. It's all online. You've done some stuff for Denverite too. Oh, right. Yes. Um, I should talk about that. I do a podcast weekly for them. That's why I'm here, Paul. (laughs) Good question. Yeah, it's called Denver Right Now. Uh, It's a weekly podcast. It's like a a news magazine. All the reporters and editors working on great stuff every week. And I go in on Thursdays and pick out a few of my favorite stories and talk to the people who wrote them. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun to do. Um, So sometimes I like... The, what I like is uh, pulling out like the the sound of the actual thing that they're reporting on, if okay. possible. Like we did a really fun episode with the mayor's state of the city speech a few weeks ago, 
where uh, I had this idea to do a close reading and pull out clips of the speech that, and uh, then play them and then talk to the relevant beat reporter about that program yeah. because they can obviously contextualize and interpret better than any old right. schmo could. I mean, sometimes it was just like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I have I have no idea what this guy is saying. I don't know what the referent is. Yeah, but other, other yeah, it was, it was a good good episode. That's fun. It was when the Broncos were in the Super Bowl against the Panthers. This guy for Westward named uh, Brian Badzmarowski, he wrote this piece about, it was called like 10 Reasons the Panthers are going to Smoke the Broncos. And it was pure trolling. <laughs> and so I decided to troll the troll, and I wrote a response article to it. I did... I don't know if you remember a website called Fire Joe Morgan. It was started by these three guys. Ken Tremendous was one of the guys who was actually Michael Schur, who wrote on The Office, created Parks and Rec, created The Good Place. Mm-hmm. He he was doing this stuff, uh, just taking apart sports writing, which was right in my wheelhouse. It was one of the funniest things I'd ever read. So I took it apart, Fire Joe Morgan style. Well, Brian finds it. Sends me an email and he goes, hey, thanks for the well-written criticism. He's like, normally I just get people calling me names and, you know, shouting invective on my Facebook page and stuff. He's like, but yours was really well-written and funny. So we put together this – we did a video for Westward. It was like natives versus transplants. Oh, did, you and this guy? Yeah. So it was uh, it was a man-on-the-street style thing, which is always really hard to do. It's hard to find gold there. But the videographer for it. He's like, yeah, this is actually one of my last projects for Westward. I'm going to this sort of startup news thing. And oh, I, Kevin. And I, you're, you're stepping on my punchline. but that, Sorry? <laughs> I, if you've met my wife, you'll know that I'm used to that. But so it was Kevin Beatty. Yeah. Who was great. And, like, he, he had a great sense for what worked and what didn't. And he filmed it beautifully, put it together brilliantly. And when I saw he was at Denverite, I go, oh, cool. All right. That's really good. Uh, and so I love Denverite. I love reading it. Oh, that's great, man. I think Kevin is like the most talented person. He's spectacular. He's a visual genius. He does these things with GIFs where like just one little thing in an image is moving. Oh, you're a soft G, huh? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. I don't mean for that to be a point of contention. But... Actually, he told me, he gave me this very like conclusive explanation of why it's I forget which one he was advocating for, actually, but he <laughs> sounded right. I, I should ask him again. And so, if it's Jif or Gif. But, but you take it, you take it, or you remember it to be Jif. I I don't know. That's habit. But <laughs> you, you you said it, and I go, whoa, whoa, okay. I think that's the first time I've actually had to be contentious about something so stupid. Oh, it's on this the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so you said he does brilliant things mm-hmm. with. And I'm going to go with this just mm-hmm. because it's a very improv thing. Mm-hmm. With a GIF. And what mm-hmm. does he do with it? Yeah, there's smoke coming out of John's ears right now, listeners. No, cool. <laughs> He's very. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does he do? He, uh, like, if there's a story about, say, the I 70 widening project, uh, he went out and it's sort of a picture, but. It, all right, so let me see if I can describe it. So he took a picture, like a series of pictures of uh the highway outside someone's window right so you see a person sitting in a chair and you also see a car going past and every second you see the car pass the window so it's a gif okay but it's a very subtle one. Oh, nice yeah no you're right and it's one of those things you don't really think about um just because it looks so natural yeah no that's really cool and 
It's funny. One of the reasons I never did another video with Brian because that video got a lot of views. And Westward was like, hey, you guys should pitch us some more ideas. And so I sat down with Brian and we came up with some ideas. But the fact that Kevin was gone, I'm like, nah, I don't know if we can make this work. And I just I ended up getting too busy and Brian and I kind of lost contact. But he was really the glue for that piece. Mm-hmm. And he goes, guys, we got to talk to someone else. He's like, we don't have enough here. Hmm. And he's like, even if we talk to other people, I don't know if there's enough. But so I kind of prodded him and he managed to put it together. Great, great video. Hmm. So yeah, Kevin's great. So many ideas. Yeah. So you were also the host of the Denver Pizza Podcast, yeah. which we touched on Co-host. Briefly. Co-host. Co-host. You yep. and your wife, right? Yep. <laughs> I'm, I convinced Megan to do it with me. And uh, how many episodes of that do you have now? 22. Nice. Yeah. All different places. No. We've done three at Sexy Pizza because it's the closest place to our house. <laughs> Well, never let it be said that you're not dogged in your determination on this show. Yeah, it's like autobiographical as much as it is uh, actual like rigorous assessment yeah. of the city's pizza places. Well, it's the uh, it's the clothesline upon which anything is a vehicle for self examination and reflection, or it can be. Um, and pizza is just as good a hook as anything else because, as you said to me, everyone has sort of a, a personal anecdote or a personal feeling about pizza mm-hmm. like when i was growing up and i think i told you this and maybe we should save this for our you know ultimate <laughs> uh, oh internet yes. shattering episode yes right but uh i mean my dad was very into only one style of pizza which was limiting for me as a kid mm-hmm. and so when i'd go other places and they'd just order like Domino's or pizza hut or something i'm like oh wow we finally get to have that and the mainstream run-of-the-mill garbage you know that some people want to call it food snobs and whatever was so exotic to me just because like there was one place down in Arapahoe County down in like, where the hell is that? It's like Greenwood village. Now it was like Quebec and County line called Fiori's. That was like the one acceptable place to get pizza in this entire city. God, that was frustrating as a kid, you know, cause it's like, I'm a kid. I just want to eat pizza. Who doesn't like pizza as a kid? Yeah. That sounds bad. Yeah. There was one kid in elementary school who I remember didn't like pizza and it was always so weird. He'd be at the birthday and you know, the birthday parties and we'd all have pizza and he wouldn't i'm like what do you not like about this it's fantastic yeah i've talked to some people since doing this project who are just like not interested in talking about it and i don't get that it's a wonderful type of food there's so many different kinds yeah <laughs> my know. family's from chicago and i will go on record here and i don't think this is a controversial opinion some might but i think deep dish pizza is garbage wow yeah Wow. It's, it's a casserole. That's upsetting. It, really? Are you For into that? For me and millions. Why? I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> I like them all. I like all types. Um, no, I just don't like it. It's You get like one piece and you feel like you just ate a giant lumberjack breakfast. You're like, the whole rest of the day is shot now. Hmm. It's special. Okay. It's not the type you always get. There's not a lot of places that do it. Yeah. No one's saying eat a lot of it. You know, have your fill. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's all I have to say for it. I haven't had a good slice of deep dish in myself in a while. Okay. Probably because it doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Great. So, not to turn into a hot take artist here. Oh, no. But, uh, so it's a good take. It's just one I'm not into. Everything else, I'm pretty much on board with. If you want to put weird toppings on it, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's try it. Oh, really? Yeah. If you want to do, like, different, like, New York is good. 
Chicago thin crust is good. I love the Chicago thin crust because that was the one acceptable kind of my house, mm-hmm. which you'd think I might rebel against that, but I don't. Detroit-style pizza is really good. Um, I'm not so much into the the white pies as much. but Yeah, white pie is not as good. Um, I think that's like a thing, especially in this city, like where the fancy pizza places are obsessed with the idea of making the white pie their signature thing, like the yeah. new place called White Pie. But also Cart Driver does the same thing. Right. And I think it's inspired from New Haven's tradition of the clam pizza. Yeah. Like it seems like niche and exotic and special. But a white pie is just like not as good a pizza type. It it's doesn't have the sourness. Genre. It can be great. Uh, like I think the cart driver version is very good. But it's so rare that I walk away from a white pie thinking, I'm glad I got that instead of bread sauce. Right. No, I 100% agree. Is this a fair way to say it? I think the ceiling is lower for white pie. The ceiling yeah. of greatness is just fundamentally lower. Yeah. Like, the greatest white pie you've ever had in your life is never going to exceed the greatest, like, red sauce pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So You know what I've found about myself over the course of 22 episodes? I can't wait. I When I'm eating pizza, that whole experience to me, it's more, the like, how much I enjoy it is more contingent on the place I am and the customer experience than the pizza itself. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm comfortable and I'm in a place that feels like a pizza place to me, yeah, I'm going to be happier. Nicolo's on 13th. That's okay. a place I really like going. I think their pizza is fine. <laughs> yeah. But that's one of my favorite places to go. One of my favorite places that's been in the news recently, and this is like the intersection of the Denver Pizza Podcast and Changing Denver. Oh, sure. Is Famous Pizza on Broadway. Oh, uh, yeah. We wanted to make it there before it closed. Yeah. Because I used to live down in Westwash Park. So I lived at Bayard and Clarkson for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I lived at Second and Pearl. And so the Broadway bars were always our haunts. And you could always go into Famous. And, it, like, the pizza was so affordable and so good. And they were always playing, like, TNT or, a, or like, AMC or something in there. Mm-hmm. So you'd sit down. You're kind of half in the bag eating this pizza. And, like, a rerun of The Fugitive is on or something. And you're like, Yeah. Like what a great way to end the night. I'm it's exactly what you're describing. I have no idea how good that pizza is objectively, but the way it made me feel like puts it in the top echelon of my pizza experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's ideal. Yeah. That sounds great. So, in terms of Denver, what haven't you explored yet that you still want to? So much. Um well, I will use your question to pivot to what I'm working on for the next season. Yeah, that um, sounds good. There are a bunch of issues that I wasn't really able to get at with the neighborhood framework. And so for season three, I am using a similar format, but I'm using people as mm-hmm. the basis for each episode. So each episode is going to be a profile that brings up a question about, say, marijuana or yeah. labor. Uh, and those things were, are very interesting to me, but I, they're not, like, based in a place in the same way. Yeah, sure. Uh, so that's that's what interests me now, um, those kinds of things. But I would like to go back to neighborhoods. Like, I was driving through Lowry the other day, mm-hmm. and they, like, I reported a story for the business news publication about drone racing. <laughs> okay. Which was really fun. Um, and apparently you're not allowed to fly drones in the city of Denver. 
but these guys do it right on the border, you know, wink right on the border uh-huh. by Lowry. And Lowry used to be an Air Force base. So I think there's something there about, like, the sky above Lowry. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Sometimes that you find it when you're once you start working on it. One of the things that surprised me quite a bit when my wife was studying for her real estate exam was she told me when you buy a piece of land, sometimes you own what's underneath. Like mm-hmm. you, you have the subsurface rights. That's I would call that rarer and rarer these days. But you also have air rights. You have a co- like where you live if you own property, unless you sold them, you own that column of air all the way up to space. Hmm. which is wild. Now, granted, you can't just do anything you want with that because, you know, there's there's permitting uh, at the city, state, and federal level, and, you know, then the FAA gets involved. But on sort of a very pure property ownership level, you own that entire column all the way to space. And thinking about that just kind of blew my mind. Like, how hmm. weird is that as a concept? Yeah. The fun Colorado twist is mountain views. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's kind of what I wanted to get into that in that same episode, too. How much is that worth? That's a good one, too. That's why, like, I lived in Houston, Texas for a year, and I was amazed by how many billboards there were along the highway. And for everything, like porn warehouses and bail bonds and, you know, Spanish-speaking attorneys and just, like, whatever it was. And you come out here, I'm like, I'm not used to seeing that many billboards. Well, that's because they don't exist here. Hmm. Because you can't build them to block the view of the mountains. (laughs) Huh. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's like uh that's like an old sort of old Denver thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I was always disappointed as a kid that our buildings were not taller. I asked my dad what the tallest building in Denver was and he's like, and it's Republic Plaza. And what is that? Like 45, 50 stories or something. And I'm like, and the Empire State Building is like 110. That sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm like I I felt like we were lagging behind and then it made sense to me as I got older. And I go, "Oh no, that's actually kind of nice." Yeah. So when can we look for season three then? I'm aiming for October. Okay. Yeah. And how many episodes do you do in a season? This one's going to be small because I've been working on this big thing for the spring. Uh, So probably four. Okay. Four with some smaller fun things mixed in. Yeah, with some vignettes and stuff. Well, it's funny thinking about that because after we both won the Westward Awards, we reconnected. And you said, hey, how can we use this? How can we move it in a positive direction? We started reaching out to other podcasts that we knew in Denver. And what we came up with is Denver Podcast Network. How long ago did we start sort of formulating this? And we're just now beginning to roll it out. Well, we, I mean, we talked about it even before, like, last year when we first met. Um, yeah. But then this year, again, that was like, I mean, the award thing was in March, and it's been... Six, seven months, six months. So, uh, no, so March. Five months. Five months. Yeah. What month is it? August? Yeah, it's August. <laughs> five uh, months. It's my birthday coming up in a couple of weeks. Oh. So, um, that's the only reason I know what month it is, because <laughs> otherwise I'm up to my eyeballs and things to do. But it's funny, like, it's hard to carve out a space in the Denver podcast scene because sexpot comedy looms large. Yeah, that's definitely the big dog. They have a little bit of money, um, mostly comedy stuff. Yeah. And I think that's what we were both picking up on. And, like, there should be another option. So we just kept coming back to. There should be something else. Yeah, There are things that we all want and need as people who make podcasts. And we have, like, 
substantial audiences and that there are there is potential to build on those assets. Yeah, and there's a lot of work here that I think deserves more recognition. And so we started like brainstorming Denver podcasts and the first one that came to my mind was Real Nerds because Brad Haig was so instrumental in me getting this one going. Hmm. And you know, he showed me like what equipment to buy, how to edit my shows because Real Nerds has been going on for so long now. I mean, they've it's like 6 years that uh, they've been on the air. That's crazy. I think they just did their 300th episode. Yeah. Which is wild. And then, you know, so, you know, folks like JD, who's doing left hand, right brain. Mm -hmm. And we got them together. And what was so, it's so cool when you come up with something like that is everyone's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Why haven't we been talking to each other this whole time? Just felt right. And uh, yeah, I mean, the way, the way we chose who to reach out to, just like people who are serious about it. Yeah. Yes, all these shows are good, but it's more important, at least, that it's other people who are striving towards something. Mm -hmm. Whether I, I am, like, I, I recognize something in each of these groups. Um, like, uh, the people behind Beyond the Trope. Yeah. Michelle, Giles, Emily, Emmer. Um, they're just, like, they've been trying so hard. They get big guests in their field, and it's very impressive. Yeah. Right blog. Yeah, and I knew nothing about it until we came together. Yeah. And then I learned about it. I go, holy crap. Yeah, you guys should be, like, on a different level. Yeah, I mean, JD's show has been going for more than 100 episodes, too. Um, and I knew a little bit about that because do you follow Marcelo on Twitter? Uh, yeah, I, I, I know. Yeah, like, Marcelo, for the longest time, had this real, like, huge bent for podcasts, and he would just tweet everything that I put out. And he was tweeting everything that JD was doing. And, like, these things matter, which folded up shop this year. So, I mean, there's something of a vacuum in Denver Podcast. We called it a new day in Denver Podcasting when we both won. Because, like, Whiskey and Cigarettes had won Reader's Choice three years in a row. These Things Matter uh, had won. And then there's that one about music that I've never listened to and I feel bad about. But they get they do it live. And... They get, like, live call-ins. It's about music. It's, like... Oh, it's the three guys' names. Yeah. And Dave and Ted yeah. and Jeremy. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I, the chances of them listening to this, I think, are very slim. But I, I feel bad that we don't remember their names. I don't, I don't regard them as a podcast. Okay. I think that's tough but fair. So, a, a different genre altogether. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what this turns into because it's one of those things. I mean, as we record this, I'm doing Mile High 100 tomorrow night, right? I mean, that is that is the very first thing. And then the Denver Podcast Network, I'm not even sure that we know what we have. We've been meeting for five months, but we haven't rolled it out. So it'll be interesting to see what it turns into. And the fact that we get to be at the forefront of that is so exciting to me. Oh, yeah. It's the, I mean, that's the fun stuff, right, is – what is what is the potential? Like, there's like we could do live events. Yeah, what those look like. How would you like each show? I guess would do like a second bring. How would you adapt your show? Where would you do it? Like, I I think that'd be great. We'd have a great time. Yeah, I think it would be amazing. For the longest time, I wanted to do, and this is the first time I've ever talked about this on the show. Oh. But I've talked about it with my wife before. I wanted to, I wanted to call it the trade show, where I have guests. 
and I'd have segments. It would almost be like a live variety show mm-hmm. because I have so many different people with so many different backgrounds and expertise. It would be cool to get to feature them in a new way. And so much of what I do, and I've had so many weird jobs in my life that I could almost do like a 101 on different aspects of career that I've had. So, you know, there's like a one-man show aspect. There's things like interactive segments with my guests. I've got a lot of ideas for that. So to hear you say that, I'm like, that's cool. It'd be a fun challenge. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever worked harder in my entire life than I have having two kids under three. My own business, my own podcast, my own charitable giving endeavor now. And now I need to get more involved in Denver Podcast Network because the way these meetings have shaken out, I it's been hard to participate. And mm-hmm. so the fact that you've been shepherding this along, especially with input from the group. I mean, the group is – that's the kind of group you want. Oh, yeah. Everyone's active. Everyone has thoughts. Everyone cares. Yeah. Everyone has some energy to move it forward. Yeah. It's it's spectacular. So since we are rolling it out, uh, where's the best place to find it? The best place right now is our new website, denverpodcast.net. Uh, you can also interact with us on our Facebook page, which is Denver Podcast Network. That's so great. And uh, there's going to be lots more to come from that. Getting to feature the work of other shows. Like, I'll do promos for your show on here. And I had someone tell me, and I just want to put this out so it's in public forever. Someone said, I really like the way you've restructured your show. And I remember thinking, I haven't restructured my show at all. <laughs> like, what is he talking about? He goes, you've normalized it to an hour runtime. And I'm going, okay. And I looked at my episodes and I go, okay, I managed to do that five episodes in a row. All accidental. <laughs> so not to demystify the magic of Hollywood here or anything. Or Denver, I suppose. And they're like, and I really like the ad at the beginning. It's a very classy ad. And I go, the ad at the beginning? Like, oh, God, I'm running the Changing Denver promo before anything else happens. <laughs> and the reason it's going before my intro is because I forgot to plug it when I'm actually recording the audio intro. I'm like, God, I wanted to plug Paul's show again. How do I do that? I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll just stick the ad at the beginning before my intro. People love that. And I think I'm borrowing some of your credibility in that <laughs> way. <laughs> well, Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate you all saying that. So you can expect to hear it uh, before this show as well. Cool. But uh, all right, Paul Caroli, this was a pleasure. We do plugs now. Changing Denver, you can find it wherever you found this podcast. Uh, New season's coming soon, like we said. Denver Pizza Podcast is a fun time, I promise. Denver Right Now is the podcast to do with Denver Right. Man, you're a Mr. Podcast right now. Yeah, you can call me that. I'll I'll, I'll accept that. (laughs) That's epic. All right, well, I'll tell you what, Paul Caroli, best podcast in Denver, according to the Westward staff. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. Thanks for, uh, I. it's funny, uh, looking at this couch, I'm always, I always feel bad when I have someone who's tall here, because this is like mid-century modern style furniture, so it's very low, which I like because I have short little legs. Man, it's uh, it's got to be tough for you tall folks. Yeah, I'm kind of draped over the couch. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. You, uh, you got it going on, but... Uh, It was a pleasure, man. Thanks for sitting in my basement. Anytime, John. All right. Continued success to you, Paul. And that wraps up episode 143 of the John of All Trades podcast with Paul Caroli, host of Changing Denver, host of the Denver Pizza podcast, and host of Denver Right Now. What a tremendous dude. I'm so happy that I get to be in the same orbit as him and share some Denver podcasting space with him and everyone in the Denver Podcast Network. Check out Changing Denver at changingdenver.com. It's got a new season coming in October. I cannot wait for that. 
He does exceptional work. And check out Denver right now. That's once a week. You'll get a digest of all the great stories in the week. The John of All Trades podcast is on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. Just search John of All Trades. Hit subscribe. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. We're also on the social media. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all at the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. Facebook's the only place for exclusive episode previews. They go up on Monday. New episodes drop on Wednesday. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Website builds, hosting, campaigns, everything that you need to do to get in front of the people who need to hear your message, 4Degrees will do that for you at a cost that's very affordable. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Got a brand new episode coming next week. Going to go record that later this week because there's no shortage of things to do here in the life of John X. So until I see you next week, or until I hear you again, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny.